You're listening to episode 75 with Brianna Huber, chemist at East Moline Water Filtration Plant. This episode is brought to you by MasterMeter. Hi, this is Kathy Bernardino Bailey, Executive Director of the Greater Cincinnati Waterworks Department. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the power of women in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. If there's one thing I can be certain of when it comes to you, it's that you love water. And if you're a water utility looking to manage your water you love, then you'll want to talk to our friends over at MasterMeter. They understand that you can't manage what you don't measure, and smart water management begins with accurate measurement. Account for every drop produced and delivered because the utility's progression towards smart cities and IoT begins here. We're trying to be the game changers of communication, and our partner, MasterMeter, is here to deliver game-changing results for you across finance, customer service, and utility operations. They offer an array of products to meet your utility's needs. To determine which smart water metering solution is right for you, visit MasterMeter.com. My quote that I live by is, be the change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember that as individuals, we all bring different perspectives and different talents to solutions. And so if we all like sweep it under the rug and say, well, this other person is working on it or someone else will work on it in the future, then we miss the opportunity to share our unique skill sets in solving these problems. Okay, y'all, I am so excited for y'all to hear the story that you're about to hear. Um, I love the Gandhi quote, be the change you wish to see in the world, but Brianna exemplifies that. And she does something that I'm also incredibly passionate about. She doesn't just act on that. She lifts others up at the same time. She doesn't just say, I want to have a fundraising drive for this nonprofit that I'm passionate about. She says, I want to go to Africa, meet the people I'm trying to help and, you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro while I'm at it to help raise awareness. So uh, Brianna is specifically seeking to raise money for the Tanzanian Gender Networking Program, which is a nonprofit organization that she learned about through her work with the UN and they support women throughout Tanzania and one of their primary focuses is solving water and sanitation issues and ensuring that women are included in the discussion because if you know women are so closely tied to the global water crisis the global water crisis so she is halfway to her goal of $5000 so uh come on twi- uh team water let's make this happen We will have the link pinned on both the H2 Duo and Rogue Water Twitter profiles. So either at the underscore H2 Duo or Rogue underscore Water. And you can still donate to her cause through the end of the year. I'd love if everyone that listened to Brianna's story empowered a woman on the other side of the world to be involved in the water industry by donating a gift to the TGNP. And if you catch this episode after the first of the year 2020, just Google the Tangentian Gender networking program and make a donation directly that way so we also talk about the amazing work she's doing stateside to empower women in the water industry and also to create more diversity and inclusion in the water workforce she has worked in the public health field for 13 years before exploring the environmental side of public health she is uh she has been the licensed class a chemist for the city of east moline water filtration plant for the past five years and while her tenure in the water industry may be short her list of involvement is not 
Brianna is the current chair of the Illinois State uh, section of AWWA's mentoring committee and a member of the outreach committee. She also holds leadership roles in various organizations, including the Upper Mississippi River Water Suppliers Coalition, the USCG Area Maritime Security Council, the Quad City Public Information Officer Group, and the AWWA Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Brianna is also passionate about empowering women in the water industry, which she demonstrated by launching and serving as chair of the Illinois State Section AWWA Women in Water Committee, where she unites, motivates, and supports female water industry workers throughout Illinois and beyond. And, you know, in her free time, she climbs giant mountains in Africa in support of clean water and sanitation. A story you definitely need to hear, so I'm going to stop talking, and without further ado, let's get to the show. We are incredibly excited to be here today with Brianna Huber, who is the chemist at City of East Moline Water Filtration Plant, and... um, you guys are in for a story today. I'll, I'll just say that. So when um, we get people from time to time reach out to us about, you know, oh, I think I'd like to say something on the podcast here, but I loved how you were so humble in the way that you approached it. But like you're, when you reached out to us and you told us, you know, just on the fly that, not on the fly, but just kind of like dropped, oh, by the way, I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro for clean water. We were like, what? (laughs) We don't always get requests like that. So I was like, we absolutely have to have her on to chat about this. Hold on. Can I just go ahead and say this real quick? Put that in your pipe, um, Adventure Hydrology. Yeah. Challenge accepted, huh, Mr. Chris? (laughs) Ooh, I think we just did a... uh, He thinks he's awesome across the world going around... (laughs) glissading down mountains and stuff, but she climbed the Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Wow. I think you just challenged him. I did. Yeah. So publicly called him out. But thank you, Brianna, for being here with us today. (laughs) (laughs) So much for allowing me to share this story with you guys. I love it. Um, Well, I have to start off by, uh, because it wasn't just this incredible story that you have uh, about your trip to Africa, but, you know, we'll get into some of the other things that really stood out to me about your story. But to begin with, I wanted to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. And would you say that water chose you or that you chose water? Mm, Definitely water chose me. And I'd be really curious if you took a poll of all of your guests, how many that falls out, what the percentage is. Mm Mm-hmm. Would you like me to share a little bit about how I got into the water industry? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my background has always been in some aspect of public health. Um, I first worked in a medical laboratory in a hospital for several years, and then um, I switched over to a public health department and worked in a child health program there. And then um, I reached a point where I was just feeling very frustrated and I, I needed to change. And it wasn't the employer that I was working for. It was just my specific job duties. The population I was working with was very um, kind of jaded you and wore you down a little bit. And so I just mm. needed a bit of change. Um, and, and actually, I was a little bit desperate. And I saw this posting for a chemist position with the city of East Moline. Um, and the application was due by like midnight of that same day. And I just thought, I'm just going to throw it in there. I need, I need a change. You know, yeah. this is where. Wow. So I ended up getting the position. And when I, when I very first started, probably the first month, I spent the entire time just about in a panic attack. 
because it was my first blue collar job. It was my first um, working in a male dominated industry and it was my first management position. Mm. Wow. Um, I was very nervous, you know, for the first probably month or two, but I fell in love so quickly. Mm. I, this industry, I don't think I will ever work in another industry in my life. Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah. We appreciate that. Hey, we'll take desperation too. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> we're desperate for y'all supposed to be, and you, it takes some harder times to find where you're supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like we need the inscription that's on the statue of Liberty because like once all those other industries wear you out, like come here to yeah. us and we'll, we'll like all. show you yeah. a, a career of meaning. So, yeah. and some people take that passion to, a whole nother level. Uh, I think you definitely fall within that category. Um, so I just want to like get right to it and kind of tell us a little bit about this adventure that you just went on and maybe how you heard about it and kind of a little bit about the program. Um, I would say that this project has been quite some time in the making. I'd say like 18 months to be exact is kind of when I decided 18 months ago that I was going to do this. Um, But it's a small part of a larger picture project that will hopefully unfold over several years if I am fortunate enough for that to happen. Um, But I'm very passionate about women in water, and I'm really interested in global water issues. Um, And while doing some research, I got a better understanding of global water issues. Um, And I thought, I've got to do something about this. Like, I've got to do something to help. Like, we are so blessed in the United States Mm -hmm. to have the picture um, and technology to support clean water and sanitation services. And we don't even think twice about it, right? We do mm-hmm. such a great job that we don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to do something to help. And um, through some some connections that I have, um, was introduced to a UN delegate from the Netherlands. And I was speaking with her, and it was with her that I learned about the Tanzanian Gender Networking Program. Um, and so in doing research on them and what they do, which they support my two biggest passions, which is, um, women in water, um, and water projects. Right. And so, um, I connected with them and I just decided, you know what, they're in Tanzania. There's a giant mountain in Tanzania, <laughs> climb it. I'm going to climb it so I can raise awareness and funds to support water and sanitation projects through this organization. Okay. Pause. <laughs> Are you, do you normally climb mountains? Is this a thing for you? Is this left field? Do you climb hills? Like, are you, do you like to go outside? Like, tell me more about you. I don't think East Moline's known for their mountain peaks. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I have never once in my life said, I'm going to go climb a damn mountain. I'm going to go do it. I'm just, you know what? I'm going to do it. So tell me, how did you go from you being you, tell me more about who you are, and then I'm going to go climb, I'm not just going to go climb a mountain. I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. The one that like, the the peak of them all, (laughs) like the big daddy of all the mountains. Highest peak in Africa. Yes. Um, So I am very active. I've always been very athletic and I do greatly enjoy the outdoors and I spend a lot of time. Um, I like hiking, but up until I climbed or hiked Mount Kilimanjaro, the tallest mountain I had been on was like 3,600 feet. <laughs> okay, so more like Texas style. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. I had never um, done a big mountain by any means. I had never done multi-day hiking. Like my idea of hiking is going out for three hours and hiking. Yeah. Yeah. What I wanted to do was challenge myself in their environment in a way that they are challenged every day because Mm. they are spending numerous hours a day carrying jerry cans Mm -hmm. to fetch water from a local watering hole. And those jerry cans can weigh up to 40 pounds when they're Mm -hmm. full. And oftentimes they are carrying more than one. Right. Um, So I just wanted to be able to challenge myself in what I felt like was a way that is similar to what they're doing every day. Yeah. Wow. Oh my. So like, yes, you talk about like walk a mile in someone else's shoes. You did much more than a mile, but, um, okay. So kind of walk us through, you got to actually meet with that. I saw that you became, you're a tribe member now, I believe in, uh, (laughs) into one of the tribes in Tanzania. Correct. I I thought I saw that on your Facebook page. Oh, you did see that on my Facebook page. I was kind of teasing. I'm not officially, <laughs> but I think kind that of like I'm an honorary Jew. Yeah. 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 So their chief, um, chief Lizer is his name. I, I poked and prodded when we were on that tour so I could find out what their water situation was for the villagers there. And I made him take me over to their well and, you know, show me all that stuff. Um, which I will say they have a well, unfortunately the water's not safe enough to drink. So they still have to walk three miles every day to get water mm. for drinking. Mm. Um, so partial solution, not full solution, but, um, we have actually remained in contact. So we've been texting via WhatsApp and I keep picking his brain more and more. So hopefully cool. that relationship will continue. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love it. I love that you're using how WhatsApp. long was your, how long was your journey to get there? Sorry. So you mean like the flights and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, was it, obviously I don't think you like touched down in Tanzania. I'm sure there was some. Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to know everything. (laughs) Yeah. It was about 30 hours each way. So I live in um, Rock Island, Illinois, and Mm. I had to drive to Chicago O'Hare airport. That's about two and a half Mm. hours. Um, And then the flights themselves like physically on the airplane was about 18 hours over two flights, And then there was a layover in between in Amsterdam. Um, so yeah, it was about 30 hours. Wow. So then you're, you land in Tanzania. Yes. Tell me what happens that moment you get off the plane. Yeah. I literally want to know every step. This is, <laughs> unfortunately we landed at 9 PM. So it was dark. Mm. So it was culture shock immediately, though, because in the United States, you know, our airports are like so systematic and organized, yes. but it's it's not to that level in Tanzania. Sure. So you wait in a line and people are cutting left and right and like skipping lines and there's like nobody correcting them. Um, and so we waited a long time <laughs> to get through the, the um, incoming passenger mm-hmm. line. Uh, and then, of course, I had to use a restroom. And so I'm like, okay, well, where's a restroom? Well, it's outside in a separate building. And it's like immediate culture shock because it's a hole in the ground, right? Are you by yourself? Do you have family, friends, anyone with you? So I managed to get my uncle and a family friend to embark on this adventure with me. Nice. Um, I'm a little more on the cautious side, so I probably would not have done it had I not been able to get someone to go with me. Totally. I think that's smart. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So literally a hole in the ground, huh? Yeah, hole in the ground. For the restroom. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, my mind went to I need to know your safety and then <laughs> let's talk about the tunnel. Okay. So 
So you have family, and then you're like, I have to go to the bathroom. All three of yes. you to find a hole in the ground, and you're like, yes. here we are. Wow. If there was a building around the hole in the ground. For so sure. Of course there was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we experienced that a lot, holes in the ground for yeah. restaurants. Um, and there's no toilet paper. Now I am a wise person and I brought Kleenex packets. So at least I had that, um, to help me out there a little bit. Um, but from there we had, um, our hotel arranged for a hotel driver to come and pick us up. And we mm-hmm. basically, the hotel and crashed for the evening. Mm. Mm. So, so, but they took you to like a village. Is that what you were staying in or is it like a small town or city? So the city that we stayed in on the front end of the trip is Moshi. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a fairly large city. It's, I mean, I, I don't know that I'd equivalent it to like Chicago, but. Oh, wow. It's a, it's a pretty big city. It might be actually closer to the size of the Quad Cities, which is maybe like 400,000 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the city that we were in on the back end was Arusha. And that is a big city like Chicago. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned immediate culture shock. What were some of your other kind of biggest takeaways from your time in Tanzania? Um, well, there was a lot of them and I wanted to remember everything that I did. So I actually took notes while I was there in my phone. Um, but that's awesome. Yeah. From Tanzania, one of the things that stuck out to me the most was, um, how engineered the United States is. Oh, thing that we have is engineered our streets our infrastructure our neighborhoods our street signs how tall they are where they're placed how big they are everything is engineered Mm. Uh, in tanzania nothing appears to be engineered um i shouldn't say nothing there are they do have speed limit signs on the main paved roads which are very few um and they do have some directional signs but for the most part like the neighborhoods and like the property lines and the farming and everything that they do to me seemed like mass chaos. There was no engineering or organization to it. Yeah. Um, Some of the other things that were really shocking to me once I had spent some time there was um, it was not at all like I had imagined a least developed country to be, Mm. you know, you get an idea in your head from media and movies of what it will be like, but it was, nothing like what I had thought it would be. Um, poverty in a least developed country is very different from poverty in the United States. Okay. Um, and how so can you go into that more? Yeah. So, um, over there, they, they just have so many things working against them. So they don't have the infrastructure to support anything. So naturally that takes your poverty to another level, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's not a public water fountain that you can walk up to and drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm or you know don't have plumbed water systems which most of them don't Mm -hmm. Um, and then their job market is very unstable so even like um, the guide who ran me down the mountain um, he had I am in contact with him still too and he has not been called to go back up the mountain so he has not worked since September 8th oh my gosh and they just don't have the economy to support it so we had a couple porters that had bachelor's degrees, but they don't have the jobs to support their education. So they're working as porters on a mountain. Um, and they just, you know, like I noticed that they don't seem to have as much crime as we do. And I actually asked some Tanzanian people about their crime levels. I have not had a 
chance to actually dig into the research on this. So if I'm misspeaking, it's because I haven't dug into the research, but um, they don't seem to have people stealing from each other because they're so poor. They don't have anything to steal. They don't have anything to steal. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Right. And they don't have children being kidnapped off the side of the street. You know, I mean, it just, um, not to say those things don't happen, but they're not happening sure. with the happening in the U.S. from what I saw and was told. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, they're wearing, like Maasai villagers are wearing shoes made out of old rubber tires, like mm-hmm. sandals out of old rubber tires. And their clothes are all stained and tattered. You know, it is just a very, it's really hard to describe. And and honestly, if I hadn't experienced for myself, I, d- I, I would still be at the understanding that I was previously. So it's almost until you see it and are in, in, encompassed by it, you don't fully understand it, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. That makes total how, sense. How, in your opinion, how were their, um, being at the poverty level they're at, what was their demeanor? What was their attitude? Are they generally happy and, go, you know, like accepting of this is the way life is and we go on? Or are they, you know, what? What's their just behavior in general, like their attitude? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they are what I would call a very vibrant country and lively. So they're very welcoming. They're very mm-hmm. kind, very giving, despite the fact that they don't have very much to give. Mm-hmm. Um, really helpful with each other, like in their time and their their projects and what they do have, they share. Um, and I would say they're overall very happy, which was very surprising to me. Sure. Yeah. Very it's hard to imagine that over here, mm-hmm. but yes. you don't know what you don't know and you're right. for what you do have. Right. And they seem to be, um, they seem very um, faithful actually. So they're yeah. the very, like the largest religions there are um, Muslim and Christian mm-hmm. And specifically what I saw the most of with, was Catholicism. And they are very, very faithful. Every time that they say something, it's like, thanks be to God. And mm-hmm. they decorate their little buses with things like, may God bless you and all God's glory um, and stuff like that. So they're very faithful and they're very, they seem to be content in what they have, but mm-hmm. hopefully they can change their future. Sure. Mm. Wow. That's nice. really, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, one of the things that you mentioned too, in some of your notes to me about your trip is you mentioned that, uh, they don't really have the same kind of understanding of environmental issues mm-hmm. that, like we do in the U S mm-hmm. uh, which it's funny cause you know, we often think that we're so far behind, but so, uh, so what do you kind of mean in that? Like, what did you see or experience that made you come to that takeaway? Um, well, in the big cities, especially, um, and then, you know, the parts of the, what we would call consider country roads kind of leading outside of the big cities, they're quite literally, um, covered in trash. I've Mm. never seen any plastic water in my life. Um, and just wrappers. And it was really interesting to me because people would be sitting in their, um, what we would call like a front porch. Um, and I should say they live quite literally, um, the majority of their housing is shacks, like five by five concrete building shacks that, you know, so for them to sit in front of that would be their porch. And, um, and it was really surprising to me because if I'm sitting on my front porch and I see trash in my yard, I'm going to go pick it up. Sure. But they, 
there and like it did, apparently didn't bother them that their entire yard was cluttered in trash. And I mean, it would be like if I took like three entire trash bags and dumped it in my front yard. Wow. And so, so I actually asked um, our safari driver, mm-hmm. I said, hey, do people have concern for environmental issues here? Like, do you guys ever have a highway cleanup day or anything like that? And he looked at me very confused and he was like, <laughs> no. And so I was think that really made me think about it. And I thought, you know what, if I was struggling to put food on my table every day, I probably wouldn't be concerned with picking the trash up in my front yard either. Yeah. Or walking three get miles to water. get your water. Yeah. yeah. Or even just right. like, I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. You know, somewhere mm-hmm. else. Like, yeah. Uh, Holy cow. And speaking of water, like, I feel like when it comes to water issues, not that I'm saying that there's anything wrong. Obviously, I think it's a great thing when people donate money and contribute money to, to issues there. But um, it's also not just a send some dollar, send some money, throw in a well and just, you know, buy and, and, the, and the problem solve. So what are some things related around to those kind of issues that you saw or noticed? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I really got to get in conversation with two specific um, people or organizations that I visited there um, about their wells. So the Messiah Village that I visited, an American organization came in in 2017 and drilled a well for them. Um, unfortunately, the well water is too high in fluoride content to be safe for consumption. So wow. drink that water. They still walk, as I said, three miles to get water from the localing water hole, which is, you know, the local lake pond divot in the ground that manages to collect water. Um, So they still don't have a safe drinking water situation. They don't even know what's in that water that they're drinking. Um, But it was really kind of frustrating to me visiting there because I thought, and this was 2017. It's not like this was installed 30 years ago. I thought who spends all the economic resources and energy to drill a well when they still can't drink out drink the water. I mean, could we not have installed point of use filters to remove that fluoride, which would have required a longer term investment. Obviously you have to replace those filters. Um, or, you know, the Maasai village that we visited, their land was from one mountain range to another. It was several miles. It was there no other location that the well water had been safer for consumption. Um, the other one that I visited was, um, feels kind of like a slap in the face to yeah. have that right in your backyard yes. of, uh, you know, of sorts. Yeah. And can't even use it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other, um, place that I visited was a school and the, again, in 2017, a different American organization came in and drilled a well for them. Um, which was fantastic, except for they didn't think about security features. This is in the middle of a city. And mm. so, take very long for thieves to come in and steal one of the two pumps oh no the fixtures off of the faucets so now within two years as well is useless to them and um, had they even have educated the school staff or a, a you know someone to understand how the well works and and what those parts are and and where you can purchase them or how you access replacement parts um, and things like that, then the well might have been okay, which, so this might be a good time to kind of share with my fundraising, um, the Tanzanian Gender Networking Program. They are, um, I love them for several reasons. Number one, they are bringing women into the water industry in Tanzania. So they're specifically 
bringing women to design, implement, and maintain solutions for their local communities. Nice. It gives them a boost, not only gives them job skills, but it boosts their local economy also. And then the other reason that I love them is because they are in fact using locals um, and they're training them up. So it's that um, traditional, do you give a man a fish or do you teach a man to fish? And they're teaching women to fish. And so these, if something were to happen, if they had parts stolen, they're going to know what those parts are, how they function, why they're important to the entire well system, and they're going to be able to replace it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll, that very, woman might take her shoe made out of tire and beat that guy over the head. <laughs> yeah. How I dare was, you. Mm, yes. I was very specific it. about what organization, what I wanted in an organization that it was going to go to. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I love that my new favorite thing is, do you teach Amanda fish or do you teach a woman to be a fisherman? No, wait, hold on. It's do you give a man a fish? Do you, do you give a man a, a fish or do you teach a man to fish? Neither. Yes. You teach a woman how to fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We are uh, the best fisher woman. Because women are so closely, intimately tied to the global water issue that in a way that I don't think a lot of people understand or appreciate. And mm-hmm. um, there's just... I know having spent some time in that village, you probably saw that too. Um, so what are some of the things that you, you noticed directly about that relationship to women and the global water crisis? So um, just like a quick plug that is not necessarily directly related to the um, women in the village, but we know as a global water community that we cannot meet sustainable development goal number six, which is clean water and sanitation for all, mm-hmm. if we don't actively involve women, right? Mm. And so I kind of wanted to help spread that word when I was visiting these villages and stuff. And so I totally picked their brains about everything. Um, in the specific village that I visited, um, I didn't get to speak with the women directly because they didn't speak English, mm. but I get to speak again with Chief Lizer, and he was actually really open to the conversation. Um, and so what I learned from him is that women still bear the primary responsibility for fetching water and they're the primary water users, right? So we still know this to be true. Um, their lack of education is a significant barrier to their participation in the water industry. Um, so the women don't traditionally go to school, right? The the current adult females have not gone to school. Um, however, we do know that women are smart enough to participate in the water industry if they're shown. And I specifically asked him that even though they're uneducated, if you showed them how to maintain this, well, would they understand? And he said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, I also know from Chief Lizer that women have the time to be involved in the water industry and to take care of that aspect of responsibility within their uh, village. And then I, I wasn't sure how Chief Lizer would respond or react when I started poking and prodding about the women and water. You know, mm-hmm. It could have gone very badly if I offended him, you yeah. know, but he was very open to it and was like, whatever you can do to help the women. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in like, let me know what your ideas are. So I think we tend to think that the traditional communities and cultures out there um, that history and books have told us are, you know, very male roles and female roles and mm-hmm. the 
are in control and they don't like it. That's not always the situation when you get one-on-one with those individuals. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, Arianne and I spent 10 years in doing public education and public outreach and engagement for water utilities before we started Rogue Water in this podcast. And we talked a lot about the global water issues. You know, we would have water walks. We would do a day without water. We would, um, we would partner with nonprofits that helped uh, the global water crisis. But it's nothing compared to actually seeing it and living it. So... What was that like for you? Just you hear about these things, you see the images, the pictures, the videos. Like, what was it like actually living it, though? Matt Damon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I tried to summarize this in five words, right? Mm. So I'm just going to go through those because I think that's the easiest way. That's what I've, you know, put thought into. Um, And the first one is existence. So like you said, we see this on TV, but until you are there and witnessing it with your own eyes and seeing it everywhere, it's not just once in a while, it doesn't become real until you see it firsthand and you see the brevity um, of its existence. And so, um, yeah, definitely existent. Um, I also would say it was raw, so it was unaltered. Um So this is not someone else's story through which I'm understanding the situation. This is my story and my life that I'm living and these people's stories, which I am witnessing firsthand. Right. Yeah. So, and then I also felt like it was painful. Like I felt, um, like really guilty. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's painful to know that the roles could be reversed so easily. So no one has control over where they're born or what country they're born in. Right. So have been born there and that could be my life and so that I felt very guilty about Um, calamitous uh, this is a it's a global humanitarian calamity Um, but the thing of it is it's not immediate it it didn't spring up on us with little to no warning Uh, our absence of solution has occurred slowly over many many years and we have chosen to ignore it Um, the issues of access to safe water and sanitation services quite simply should not exist in the 21st century um, because we've known all along how to solve these issues. Yep. And then last thing that I would say is um, it was very inspiring. Not only um, the people of Tanzania and their passion for life, despite their circumstances and lack of sanitation, um, but inspiring to me, it was, it was like affirming to me that what I'm doing really actually makes a difference in people's lives. And um, I might be per- not be perfect in the way that I do it. And I definitely don't have all the solutions and answers myself, but it's important that I got up and took a stand and tried to make a difference. You didn't just get up and take a stand. You literally climbed <laughs> a mountain. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So having seen that and experienced that, like, what was like the what was that like coming back to how do you come back to the United States? Yeah. I mean, like how decompress what, I mean, what did that make you think about when you were back, when you were back in the U S so, so I'm going to first tackle. So what did it make me think about back home? And this I'm going to tackle from the perspective of while I was still in Tanzania, but thinking about it, Mm. thinking about home, um, and this is super random, and I don't know why this is what popped into my head, probably because I used to work in a hospital. 
Um, but I kept thinking about newborns oh. and, so, um, you know, one of the first that happens with newborns in the first few days of their lives is that they're given a bath, right? Sure. And bathing is generally considered like an act of love by a parent, right? You're taking care of your child. They can't take care of themselves. But all I kept thinking about is how awful it would be to bathe a newborn child, knowing that I'm pretty much creating a Jackson Pollock of bacteria and viruses all over their bodies. Yeah. Um, because the water's contaminated, right? So I've just went and got it out of the local hole in the ground. Um, and so I just was very thankful, especially as I walked around and seen so many women carrying their tiny babies, um, that we don't, that we don't live in those conditions in the United States. Like we can trust our water systems to bathe our children. So I know that's really random, but honestly, that's just what happened. No. Um, and very then how tangible. Do, mm-hmm. yeah. How do I come back to the U S after being over there? So it actually was really hard. You know, when you, when you go on vacation, normally, um, you like get sick of it and you get homesick, right? You're ready mm-hmm. to go home and to be done. But I didn't encounter that while I was there. I wanted to stay. So I was very sad when I left. Um, I just kind of fell in love with them. I mean, they're just such amazing people. Um, and their culture is so different and they're so supportive of each other and community based that I just feel like in the United States, it's a lot of cutthroat competition. Yeah. I was really enjoying living in their culture for those few weeks I was there. Wow. Well, I anticipate this is not your last trip. (laughs) I don't think it will be. What did that make you think about your career in water? Um, Lots of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) It made me, again, feel guilty because I feel that I've only been in the water industry for five and a half years. Like, let's keep that in mind. And if my brain can go to that in five and a half years and understand at a global level how impactful water is and how important it is that we support global water projects, even though it doesn't affect me necessarily immediately here locally, um, I feel I feel guilty because I feel like there's so many people that came before me who could have been working on these projects. Not that there aren't tons of people working on them currently. Sure. Um, but I feel like we could have done more. So I felt guilty, but it also made me really proud because, um, you know, we always hear water is life and it really is. Um, and we don't understand that quite as well in the U S because we have really good water systems. But, um, when I saw it at their level, it really is so, um, in your face, how much water really is life. And so it made me proud to be a water professional. I know a big part of this was to, you know, raise money for the Tanzania Gender Networking Program. But I mean, also a piece of it was to help raise awareness to these very issues that that we've been talking about. So do you feel like um, do you feel like you've been able to do that within the network, uh, within your own network of people? Like what are some of the reactions from family and friends and coworkers that you've gotten in terms of reactions to the water and um, sanitation issues in Tanzania itself. So there was like a lot of shock and disgust, like Mm -hmm. I can't believe this is still happening. Mm -hmm. And then there was a lot of sympathy and sorrow. And then there was people who felt very grateful for being born here, our water situation. And they were humbled by learning of the struggles of um, people in other countries. And then um, some people, like one person actually said, that as a global humanity, we have to do better. And I was really impressed by the person that said that. 
Um, and then believe it or not, some people seem indifferent, like they still just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. It, that when those people talk, I'm like, you do realize only 100 years ago, you were in the same boat. You yep. did not have yeah. clean, safe drinking water yeah. or sanitation like this. I mean, yeah. it's, as far as we are and as far as we feel like we are, we're still needing to go, like this is only 100 years ago Yeah, where we're having a lot of these same outbreaks and issues. And so I don't know. I just kind of feel like how dare you just like not even understand that what we have is so amazing. Yeah. Compared to, well, it's just, I agree. And I just, you know, I do a lot of public outreach too. Mm -hmm. And you ladies have done a lot of that. I'm sure you're aware that, you know, sometimes you just have to meet people where they're at and you just share facts with them. And then maybe five years down the road, they'll have a different appreciation for it. Then that's what it is. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So Arianne didn't get to be a part of uh, our initial chat that we had. It was just you and I. And so um, I want to, guys, they just broke the news to me that she climbed up Mount Kalamazoo. Oh, you didn't know that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not really. No, I just knew like, ah, this woman who climbed up a mountain. I'm like, okay. So, um, she didn't get a chance to be a part of that initial initial chat. And one of the things that, first of all, I have an affinity for, for women in water, but I also have an affinity for women in water who just get shit done. And Bad ass. kind of like struck me as one of those people. And I feel like um, your trip up Mount Kilimanjaro like demonstrates that. Like when you talk about water is life and people who like would give their life for water and – uh, you, can you tell us the story of what, I mean, I know you don't, you said you don't remember, but can you tell us kind of the story? Wait, why of, doesn't she remember? I don't know. Why do you not remember your trip? Down How do you not mountain? remember climbing up and down Mount Kilimanjaro? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I will share the story with you. I'll, I'll skim it down. So it's not so long, but nope, um, no full details. <laughs> Basically, from the base of the mountain to base camp, which is 15,000 feet, I was golden, like rocking the mountain, Guinness butt, so to speak. Um, and summit night, we start out in the dark. So we started at 11.30 p.m. And basically, you hike to the peak of the mountain in the dark. Hopefully, it's like sunrise by the time you get to the top. Um, and then you come back down, right? So Why, why do you do it at nighttime? Is there a reason? Um, because you have to be, have enough time to come back down on the, on the other side of it. Okay. But also, there's a lot of groups going up there. So you don't want to all be there at the same time. Okay. Um, okay. They try and paint a picturesque, like the sunrise at the top of the okay. mountain kind of situation. Right. Um, so we leave at 1130 PM. It's freezing, 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 freezing. Yeah, well, tell me like, I need tangible things. <laughs> How, what shoes are you wearing? What clothes are you wearing? Are you wearing like full winter gear parkas or... <laughs> Like so I, oh yeah, it, it was below freezing. I don't know the exact temperature. If oh I had, my gosh. It was probably maybe 15 degrees, 10 or 15 degrees. Um, and I did all my research in advance and, um, I was determined not to be one of those people that die on the mountain. So I invested in appropriate mountain trekking gear. Okay. And so- layering system that you wear. So I had um, two sets of base layers, which would be like long johns, top and bottom. And then I had a fleece layer. And then I had 
top and bottom. And then I had a down jacket on top and then I had top and bottom Gore-Tex water gear. And then my boots were, um, my hiking boots were waterproof as well. So if anyone's seen Mr. Grinch, the latest, um, cartoon version it's the little girl that's going down waddling down the stairs <laughs> with like 16 layers yeah okay <laughs> how i mean okay it's that cold but like how do you move and all that have you been practicing how much how heavy was your pack how he- yeah like god okay so, many so i have um i got really lucky and i probably shouldn't even share this but <laughs> i got really lucky i have um i'm not fortunate in having back problems Um, but because I have back problems, my back was already killing me and people had heard me complaining about it. And so, um, on summit night, you are paired one-to-one with a guide Mm -hmm. or a boy and they were pretty much like, you've got too many back problems. This is going to be challenging enough. We're not going to allow you to carry your backpack. We're going to carry it. Um, so on summit night, I did not have a backpack on every other night. My backpack was probably like anywhere from 20 to 25 pounds, depending on what I had in it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. All right. Um, so yes. you're so, so you're, you're going up the mountain, eleven thirty p.m., fifteen degrees, layers of clothing. What happened yes. next? Okay, so we're going up the mountain, and it's pitch black outside, and all we have to see is headlamps, and that's challenging in in and of itself. Um, and I will say though, that is really there's a magical moment when you look up for the first time, especially. And all you see is a trail of headlamps going up the mountain and you can't see the mountain. It's all pitch black, right? So a trail of headlamps and it basically leads up to a sky full of stars. It is so beautiful. Wow. It's so beautiful. Um, But the terrain is very rough. So it's all lava rock because Kilimanjaro is a volcano. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like, I would compare it to sand. It's, It's not like rock that has hard ground underneath of it. Your feet sink into it with every step. So it's challenging physically. Sure. Um, and so we we go, we're into it like a couple hours and somewhere between hours two and three, um, I blacked out like. What do you mean you blacked out? Like I don't remember anything. From, but your body is still moving. Yes. Isn't that crazy? You've had some nights like that, Arianne. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> drunk one thing, not climbing up a mountain. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, it's like you have it so preset in your brain that you are going to get to the top of this mountain that your body continues moving even though you're, nobody is home in your brain. Does your guide know that nobody's home in your brain? Yeah, yeah. He was they, like, whoa, I, I saw the light switch go off. Well, he didn't say that per se. But um, so basically we hike to the top of the mountain. The next thing I remember is being at Stella Point, which is pretty close to the top of the mountain. Okay. And the sun was rising. And I remember looking over and thinking, that's not that impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. said not impressed. Okay. So like, that's when the guy was like, okay, something's yeah. off on this chick. No, no, no. I was thinking it. I didn't say it. Okay. I just I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. Okay. Um, so we sit down for two seconds at Stella Point, and I drink some water because you have to stay hydrated, which I otherwise did a horrible job of because I was not really with it. And I said to them, I don't want to go any further. I am done. I feel so sick. I feel like I'm going to barf. My head is pounding. I can't remember things. I have been hallucinating oh. while I'm up this mountain. Oh my 
Oh. And they, they say to me, you can't stay here. It's too windy. We have to go. So, so we proceed. Too windy. Yes. We proceed to walk up the mountain. But I, I first I asked them before I even moved. I said, how much farther? And they said, they said 100 meters. And I said, okay, it's about 300 feet. Okay, I can do this. And so I get up, mind you, it was like a mile or something. It was so far. It was not 300, 100 meters by any means. And, um, but I, I'm like blacked out. So I'm in and out. Like I don't remember things and then I remember things, but seriously from hour, like two to three to hour, like seven at Stella point, I don't remember a single thing from that. Oh my gosh. Get to the top. They lead me to sit in front of the Uhuru peak sign and to take pictures. Right. And the first pictures that they take is just me and my uncle and, um, our family friend that went with. Mm -hmm. And if you look at these pictures, which are on Facebook and you zoom in, you will notice that my eyes are closed and I'm like, nobody is home. And, um, the family friend, Mark, he's actually holding me up. So I don't, Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) So, um, so basically they let me stay up there for maybe, I don't know, three to five minutes to take pictures. One of my um, fellow hikers did smack me around a little bit and say, hey, we're taking pictures, like open your eyes and smile. So I did get a little bit better pictures after that. Um, But before I knew it, the next thing I know, (laughs) I'm being escorted away by someone. I don't even know who's holding on to my arm, but I'm being escorted away. And they hand me off to Meshach, who was the guide who was paired with me on that day. And... Meshach says, Brianna, we have to run down the mountain now. And I was like, mm, what? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> and he says, you are very, very sick. We have to run down the mountain. Oh my God. He didn't even give me time to think about it. He, he just like interlocked his arm with mine. Like you're walking down the aisle with your dad. Right. And he just started running. You mountain goaded it. You just went straight <laughs> down like a mountain yes. goat, just down. Yes. It took us. I like just eight- watched a snow leopard do this, and I thought, "How the <laughs> heck?" And Brianna did it. You just you are uh, your official name is now Snow Leopard. I won't call you Mountain Goat. I'll call you Snow Leopard. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. So he so he locked arms with you and then just run ran. Yeah, he basically drag drug me down the mountain. You okay? Dragging you down a mountain. Do you have bruises, cuts? Is your clothes ripped to shreds? Like. They're not. No. Your feet were moving. I'm, I'm fine. My feet were moving. I fell several times because I was unstable as it was. And then you make me run in this like quicksand lava rock. Um, and I remember asking numerous times, can we please stop? I'm going to vomit. Can we just take a break? Just a couple minutes. Can we please slow he down? Said, no, you have, you want to be said, alive. No. Yeah. He said, and I remember this because he repeated the same thing every time I swear. And I got more cognizant the further down the mountain we went, right? So he said to me, Brianna, this is life or death. You have altitude sickness. Medication will not fix this situation. The only thing that will help you is to run down the mountain and get to lower altitude. And I remember being like, so I wanted to throw a tantrum like a two-year-old, you know, like, no, I don't want to go. Um, because that's how sick I felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you like my reaction? I'm just blown. This is like blowing my mind. I am blown away by this. <laughs> this is like, I feel like a worst fear come to life. Like, 
Yeah. And what's funny is I was most worried about altitude sickness going into it. Everybody said, what are you worried about? And I'm like altitude sickness because it doesn't care if you're in shape, if you're healthy mm-hmm. or not. either your body can handle 50% oxygen or it cannot. Um, and that's what it's at. At the top of the mountain, the oxygen content is only 50%. And so that's oh why it's God. so um, So I remember like at one point running down the mountain, I remember thinking to myself, I am like, terrifying the people who are going up the mountain that I'm running. Oh, yeah. Because, wow. Like, I think my really body is failing. Check, I keep please. Falling. I'm cool. I'm good. Yes. I'm gonna go home. Yes. Yeah. Like I remember thinking, oh man, like try and look better, Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This just shows like how amazing you are. You care about what other people feel <laughs> like as you're like life or death. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, so it took us eight hours to get to the top of the mountain from base camp, and it took about 45 minutes to run down. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Oh, right. my God. Seriously, snow leopard. Holy <laughs> crap. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, you have to remember that even though you're not fully mentally with it, like think about all the different situations in life where you might be compromised in some way, but your flight or fight response is your very- Your lizard brain, it, it's a yes. thing. Mm. Yeah, it knows. I mean, if somebody says, well, it doesn't hurt that the night before we were talking about how altitude sickness can lead to cerebral hemorrhage if it's not treated okay. immediately. Okay. Like, into lower altitudes. So, so you know how serious it is. You're, but you know that even though you don't comprehend everything, you comprehend that and you just move. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing how your body, even though your brain is so complex and so amazing, your body can just take over and just move along. That's yeah. Amazing. Holy cow. Wow. Yep. It's pretty cool. Well, hold on. I got to do something for that. <laughs> hold on a second. Just give me a second. Oh, we got to turn it on first. <laughs> it's our first hype button designation like, of uh, well, the most badass woman I've ever the met. The snow leopard live right here with the H2 duo. Holy yes. Cow. I'll take um, that, Nikki. <laughs> but, but snow leopard just doesn't um, climb Mount Kilimanjaro and down it in 45 minutes. She uh, is also causing ripples in her own world in East Moline uh, and beyond because you're also very active with your um, your AWWA section, correct? Illinois. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Illinois section. Um, yeah, the Illinois section of AWWA. And um, one of the things that I liked, you kind of touched on this whenever you mentioned um, this was your first time working in a male-dominated industry. And you mm-hmm. mentioned how you felt like an island is actually the word that you use to describe that. Yeah. And, but one of the things that was most striking for me is that some people would feel like they were on an island and would like somehow use that as an excuse to kind of like just crawl inside themselves and just like be silent and disappear. But no, Brianna's like, oh, this means that I need to like work harder to build like more of this women in water network. So I'm an island. I'm going to put up billboards and all kinds of (laughs) marquees saying here, here, here. So can you tell us kind of some of the work you've been doing um, within your own utility, within your AWWA section? And then I believe you've even been incorporating this into your research that you've been doing for your 
your graduate program, correct? Yes, I have. So, um, so you're right. I definitely felt like an island in the beginning when I started working in this industry because I just didn't know any other women. Um, and I just thought, this is ridiculous. If I feel like this, if there are other women out there, they have to feel like this too. And so um, from that, I, I proposed to the Illinois Section American Water Works Association's board to launch a women in water committee. And um, they were very receptive to it and like, absolutely. And so um, I launched the, the committee itself, which to our knowledge is the only official women in water committee under any of the AWWA sections. Nice. So we're pretty proud of that. We have to boost that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we've been doing all kinds of things with, with that committee in terms of uh, outreach to, for example, in November, we're going to do several presentations at a Girl Scouts seminar to start. Ooh, like girls. that. Yes. Um, but we also do things like I, I should say I do because I'm the one who's much more outspoken than most women in the water industry. <laughs> I really like to create awareness about topics that women may struggle with in the water industry. And so um, like last year and also this year, I'm doing a, a roundtable discussion at our annual conference about um, navigating parenthood in the water industry because parenthood, you know, most women um, take responsibility in that sector, but it's about the men too. So we have men who attend our roundtables and, and participate in these discussions also, which I love. Nice. Um, so that's just a couple examples of what we do with the committee. I am always happy to help other sections launch a women in water committee. So if anybody has questions, I'm happy to help you. Um, I also have been trying to get involved a little bit higher level with the United Nations um, things that they are doing with, mm -hmm. with women in water internationally. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I attended that uh, commission on the status of women in March. And just real quick, I will say that what I learned from that experience is that the United States is eerily absent from the conversation. Um, and other countries are putting much more emphasis and um, time and energy into bringing women and retaining women into the water industry, um, like priorities, like hashtag goals, like legit. Um, <laughs> so um, I've been trying to share what I learned there. And so I, I do presentations about what I learned there and some of the um, work that other countries are doing. Um, to to help that cause. And then um, also because when I started to poke around about women in water, like, well, how many women work in the water industry and what do they do? What I have found is nothing. There is no data on women in the water industry. That is so incredibly frustrating to me. Um, like, number one, as a woman in water, but number two, as a manager. I, yeah. I, you know, we all know that projects perform better with a diverse uh, project team, right? And so when I look at managing a team and I think, hmm, I've got all these males and no males and all these males, are, um, their job duties are all very similar. I want to know how I can get more women involved and I want to know how I can get more, um, you know, races and ethnicities and backgrounds and be more inclusive and diverse. And so um, when I didn't find any information about that, I was like, well, that's annoying. I have to help this too. <laughs> I'm yeah, we don't even have a baseline, you know. Right. So, um, so I'm actually doing 
international research on women in the water industry um, for for graduate program that I am currently enrolled in. Um, and that will go out in the spring of 2020. And um, there are varying things that I'm doing, you know, like focus groups, a survey tool. Um, but what I'm doing is very in-depth research and raw and honest. So I don't want the um, half glass full perspective. I want women's real experiences. Um, and, and that research, basically the things that I am hoping to answer are how many women are working in, in the U.S. water sector and what roles are they filling? Um, what have been their experiences as a woman working in water? What unique challenges do they face? What, if anything, have they done to compromise or change who they are to fit in to the male-dominated industry? Um, and how can the water sector better recruit, integrate, support, and retain women in the water industry? So yeah, it's very in-depth. Hopefully, we'll uncover some things that will lead to future research, too. Well, I know that at uh, WebTech 2019, they, they, one of their core mission things projects within their mission is to increase more diversity and inclusion within the water industry. And so I know that during their opening general session, they talked about, uh, I've heard the numbers that 86% of the water industry are male and two thirds are, are white. And so um, the whole um, generalization that our industry is made up of white males is, you know, pretty accurate. Uh, but there are so many women on the clean water side, on that side, that I would love to connect you with or introduce you yeah. to, um, for instance, WEF's um, incoming president right now, she's president now, is Jackie Gerald, and she's amazing, uh -huh. and she would definitely be a good one to kind of talk about her experience being a woman within the water industry, but yeah, I think those issues are incredibly important, and it's very timely for us to be talking about them, and so... Um, we're, I'm excited that you're the one that's leading the charge and, and, and doing that. So um, I'd love to connect you with um, one of our previous guests, Mina Gooley. I don't know if you are familiar with her or not, but um, mm -hmm. she was one of our earlier episodes and her, you know, she's really into um, the world water crisis, um, but she does it through running mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she has her own quote unquote blackout story. Um, yeah. if you will, it, she didn't black out, but she basically broke both of her legs as she was running oh. her last. Um, yeah, it's an incredible story as well. Wow. And I think you two could share some pretty, um, emotional, you know, <laughs> connections there. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's also involved in the UN. She's uh, from Australia. Mm -hmm. So I would okay. love to connect you with her too. I mean, you guys, you ladies, you gals are the we leaders of this. Together. Let's get you all together. Let's figure this out. I mean, she's probably going to be a little jealous that you ran down a mountain in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> she's like an ultra marathon yeah, runner. She's yeah. She's going to be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> her story is also incredible. I believe she's episode 42 somewhere around the 42 yeah. or 43, yeah, but she has an incredible story as well. Um, it feels like crazy to end with our, with our little lightning round, but I kind of want to know, like, yeah, I guess let's take this back down to our level. Um, 
So I feel like we've climbed a mountaintop and ran our way down. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm blown away by your story. I just cannot even imagine. I'm, I'm telling you, I have passed out in the middle of Breckenridge, Colorado, ski <laughs> resort due to blackout altitude sickness. Really? And I'm, yeah. And I'm thinking, golly, what a wimp. You know, like, <laughs> I go to Mount Moly. Kilimanjaro. Um, so I, I just can't imagine, like, an actual real giant mountain like that and having to, like, survival. Okay. So lightning round. I'll get into that. Um, I want to know, you, the most badass woman I've met. Snow Leopard. Snow Leopard. <laughs> what is your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us? Oh, my gosh. You would ask that. And you know what? I haven't even read a book for enjoyment in so long. I couldn't even tell you. What's your favorite book for like resource? It could be anything. Yeah. Uh, it could be a YouTube video, podcast, blog, or maybe an article oh, you just read. Okay. So I'm super obsessed right now with um, BBC public radio podcasts. And there's one called, let me make sure I get the title right. Yeah. I can't read. I'm in school. So I just, podcast. I forgot. Yeah. You don't read for enjoyment when you're in school. I get it. No. There's no time for that. Um, but the one that I am super loving right now is called 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter. And it, what it does is it talks about um, some of the like survival or mating or whatever characteristics that animals have and how we incorporate them into technology and things that we are using. Wow. So fascinating. They just Ooh. did one peacocks the other day in their peacocks. feathers. Yes, and how it how peacocks are leading us in creating um, like computer and cell phone and iPad screens that are more energy efficient. Okay, okay. I'm sold. Hooked. Okay, <laughs> right, is the next top thirty is this going to be a snow leopard and how you climbed on a mountain in forty five minutes? Have they done a chameleon? I would definitely listen to that one. Okay, I don't I'm know hooked. if they have. BBC. I just found it. You're, I'm on. We're hooked. I'm, I'm yes. doing it. Okay. Um, so what is one thing that you do every day that drives your productivity? Mm, I'm kind of a planner. So I tend to like first thing in the morning, look at what am I working on currently? And, and then I look at what do I really want to be working on? <laughs> and I try to make sure that every day, I do something small towards those things that I want to be working on that are those bigger passion projects. Because if I didn't, I would never be productive in those areas. And I would mm -hmm. only forget the things right in front of me that require immediate attention done. Yep. That, that whirlwind. My last rogue question. How many mountain climbers did you do before you climbed a mountain? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot. I'm very active. So... <laughs> Yeah, that mountain climbers, I'm vetoing all mountain climber exercises from my routine now because it's just not a true representation. Yeah, of and I take climbing. it back. I do not want you, Chris. I don't want you climbing the mountain. No. I, the mother and <laughs> not. The mother in me says, like, nobody ever can climb these mountains. Tom Hickman, you're out. No more. No. Nope. Yeah. Challenge unaccepted. You guys are, this is too risky. Yeah. Too okay. funny. So we're going to end with the last question that we end with all of our guests, and that is um, 
in our line of work, you know, we're all about behavior change. That's what we're passionate about. But sometimes people will argue, like, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. That's not going to make a difference. But obviously, we disagree because we think that, you know, change can be contagious. And you never know what you might inspire in others. You never know what your story might inspire others to do just by hearing this. So what is the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Oh, that's a really loaded question. <laughs> I think that I think people can't ignore what is plainly in their sight. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that we as a society, I can't speak for the world. I can speak for what I have experienced. Um, but I think that we as a society are real good at brushing things under the rug and being saying someone else will take care of that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But what we need to keep in mind, not only is that, you know, like my, my quote that I live by is be the change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember that as individuals, we all bring different perspectives and different talents to solutions. And so if we all like sweep it under the rug and say, well, this other person is working on it or someone else will work on it in the future, then we miss the opportunity to share our unique skill sets in solving these problems. I mean, we need everybody's different skill sets and ideas on board. So absolutely. Um, If you're listening to this and you weren't inspired by our conversation, then you might want to check your pulse because you may be dead because I think that this is Mm -hmm. such an incredibly inspiring story and we want to make sure that we help spread your story and get support. I know that you're still taking donations through the end of the year until December 31st. Mm We're going to have that link on our, we're going to be tweeting that out. We're going to have it on social media. In fact, we'll pin it on our profile for both at the H at the underscore H to do and also at rogue underscore water so that you can easily find it. It'll be pinned at the top of our profiles. Please um, take a minute to click on that and donate to such an amazing cause and to show snow leopard some support Well, thank you so, so much for reaching out, for wanting to share your story, for allowing us to share your story. Um, I'm still trying to pick my jaw up off the ground. I cannot believe um, that you did this and that this is something inside of humans that want to do this. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, So thank you so much for charging um, the world and yourself to make this place a better place. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you so much for allowing me to share my story. It's amazing that you guys just open-armed welcomed me to do this with you. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says. Those who tell the stories rule the world.